0: You have your Bibles if you would turn to Psalms. I'm Psalms. Job chapter 4. We've been starting a new series on Job. It's found in the wisdom scriptures, if you will, related to the Hebrew Bible and it's next to Psalms. The reason that I thought Job would be a good study for us is, is found in the fact that. Um, all of us, have either experienced and or will experience tragedy. And if we don't personally experience tragedy, we have friends and families who do. And in Job, it gives us the information that we need to deal with these circumstances. The interesting thing is the scriptures do not always show you the right path in the sense of Thou shalt do this, but it also says, Thou shalt not do that. And in this period of time, when Job's friends tried to counsel him and befriend him, we find what not to do when it comes to friends and counseling. And so, as we do this, I I want us to learn what it is we need to do when we experience tragedies. And what we need to do and not do when our friends and families experience tragedies. And so the advantage that we as the readers have in the book of Job is we know what happened, why it happened to Job. That it's not because of his sinfulness. As a matter of fact, God expressly says that Job is a God-fearing man, avoiding evil and worshiping him. Those aspects of Job's character and his integrity is there, even though his friends and others, his wife, do not understand what's happening to Job. So they're going to go from their perspective. And so in Job chapter 4, after uh, we find out what happened to Job in the sense of he loses his wealth and his property and his children, and now he's lost his health, and so much so that his friends do not even recognize who he is and he through his pain and suffering poured out his heart that he was feeling crushed and he wished he was never born and so now up until this point his friends have remained silent which I will give you as a good clue which is a good thing to do remain silent especially if you don't know all of the facts and circumstances. Uh, as as there's an expression that says, it's better to remain silent and let them thank you a fool than open your mouth and re- and remove all doubt. And so now what's happening is his friends for seven days and seven nights remain quiet. And then Job speaks and then there's a sense of, I got to respond. When probably what they should have done was, Man, you're hurting, dude. We'll just stay here with you. But this is what happens in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Job. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But you can refrain from speaking. But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand. And you have strengthened feeble needs. And so he starts out positive. You know, it's one of those, you've done good in the past. When people have been hurting Job, you've been there. And you've given them words of counsel. And you've helped them. And you've given them strength. And you've been able to have them to endure. So you think, okay, he's going to start off. And, and he's going to give some positive help. But there goes that word. Once you say, but everything you said ahead of time was just canceled out. Now you did these things in the past, but now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. He's basically saying, Oh, you can give great advice when it happens to other people, but when it happens to you, you're not so good about it. It's kind of the situation as, as we say, if, if I'm having surgery, it's major surgery, and if you're having surgery, it's minor surgery. That's kind of what he's saying: is when something happens to Job, all of a sudden now it's this big deal, but when it happened to others, you were able to deal with it. Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Again, he's he's kind of giving a positive, but he's kind of taking it down. Well, wait a minute, I I thought God was your rock. I thought God was the one who gave you strength. I thought the fact that you were a man of integrity gave you confidence. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent or where were the upright destroyed. He's saying, dude, you are getting what you're getting because you've acted sinfully in some way. And then he's going to follow it up in verse eight, according to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. He goes, "I'm going to give you some experience in my view. I've experienced and I've seen people who who sow problems and they reap problems. It's kind of what we say, you, you reap what you sow. So there's a sense of if you sow turnips, and broccoli, you don't expect to receive grapes and blueberries. You're going to get turnips and broccoli. Now, why would anybody would sow those things? But, but that's what they do, okay? And he's saying you can't expect to get back something different than you sow. And we even say that, you know, you, you, you reap what you sow. And so he's saying, there's got to be a problem with you. You've sowed some broccoli. Can you expect not to harvest broccoli? He goes, that's my been my experience. But the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they come to an end. So he says, God will punish those who act sinfully. Then he says, the roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for the lack of prey. Lions are usually in the Middle East is kind of viewed as as evil, the adversary. And again, Peter will say, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So there's that sense of that adversary. And the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. So he's going to start, first he started by saying, there is my experience. My experience tells me, you sow, you reap. God is going to repay you for what you do wrong. So he goes, those are my experiences. Now I'm going to give you another reason. Now a word was brought to me stealthily and my ear received a whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, bread came upon me and trembling and made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice. Can mankind be just before God? And can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. How much more those who dwell in the houses of the plague, whose foundation is in dust, who are crushed before the moth. Between morning, and evening they are broken in pieces unobserved they perish forever It is not their tent cord plucked up within them they die yet without wisdom basically what job's friend is saying is first i have a word which comes from experience now i have a word that has been real to me revealed to me supernaturally that this voice came to me and said in essence no one is just before god they all and even the angels aren't just and whoever and man is especially and he's just like clay and he's he's like a tent that folds quickly and he's saying basically there is no one just before god now job's friend is partially right the scriptures say for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God he's correct he has correct partial theology and he's claiming he has this theology from both experience and supernatural revelation and he's right when it comes to the fact that for all have sin, and come short of the glory of God as a matter of fact it's even worse than that for we will also be judged by our conscience So let me ask you a question, which I don't expect you to answer out loud, but I do expect you to answer within your own mind. Have you ever done something that you thought was wrong? Or have you ever not done something that you were thought was right, but didn't do it? Not only do we fall short of the glory of God, we fall short of the glory of ourselves. We don't even do what's right when we think it's right. We don't even do, stop from doing what's wrong when we think it's wrong. So we are sinful people. He's right, but he's not right in this circumstance. And so he's going to go on. He's going, in chapter five, it says, Call now, is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root, and I curse his abode immediately. His sons are far from safety, and they are oppressed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. The harvest of the hungry devour and take it to a place of thorn, and the schemer is eager for their wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born for trouble, as sparks fly upward. So he says. Basically, you need to not act like a foolish person. You need not to stay in this situation. You need to do something about it. Because the foolish person is going to continue to, to just wallow in their mire of pity and doubt and pain. You're going, you need to do it. That's what the foolish does. But as for me, I would seek God. Now, doesn't he sound spiritual? Isn't that what a lot of times when we're hurting, that people will come and say, well, you know, maybe you should seek God in this situation. Well, what makes Eliaphaz think that Job hasn't been? What makes him think that Job has not been consistently seeking God? As a matter of fact, the prologue of this book tells us that that he was so concerned about even unintentional sin of his family that he would do burnt offerings that they might have done some unintentional sin. It is in Job's character to seek God, but yet here's this friend telling him, this is what I would do, as if that's not what Job would do. I would place my cause before God. He's going to Complain to God. Say, in essence, he's saying, "You're a sinner. Repent." Who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number? Amen. True, God does. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields, so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. And yes, amen. He does. His theology, if you will, is accurate to a to a point, but it's incomplete. He's applying the wrong theology in this case, and so many times we know Bible verses, and so because we know Bible verses, we try to stick them into places that may not fit. Why his friend should have just stayed silent. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd. So that their hands cannot attain success. He captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. By they they meet with darkness and grope at noon as in, at the night. But he saves from the sword of their mouth, and the poor from the hand of the mighty, so that the helpless has hope, and the righteous must shut his mouth. Again, God will be true, and every man a liar. It is true. God will. Come to the aid of those who are his. God will come to the aid of the poor and the lowly, and he will be an adversary to those who are pride and think that they're significant. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. And again, that is accurate because as we saw in the book of Hebrews, if you're not disciplined by God, you're not his, you're illegitimate. So again, he has. Pieces of accurate theology. For he inflicts pain and gives grief. He wounds and his hands are also healed. From six troubles he will deliver you. Even in seven evils will not touch you. It doesn't matter how many afflictions you've had. It doesn't matter you lost your sheep and your camels and your oxen and your children and your bron- It doesn't matter because God will save you from these afflictions, and again, so true. In famine, he will deem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you will not be afraid of violence when it comes. You will laugh at the violence and famine, and you will not be afraid of wild beasts, for you will be in league with the stones of the field, and the the, peace of the field will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. It's no longer going to be uprooted. For you will visit your abode and fear no loss. You will know also that your descendants will be many and your offspring as the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor, which is kind of almost an attack because he's sitting here so much in pain and it's so bodily damaged that he takes broken pieces of pottery to scrape his flesh. So he's saying, you know, if you'd have been a good guy, if you'd have done what God wanted you to do, you wouldn't be suffering here. You, when you do die, you'll be Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. You'll be this powerful guy. You'll have. you also know that your descendants will be many, and your offspring as the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave and full bigger, like the stacking of grain in the season. Behold, this we have investigated, and so it is. Hear it and know it for yourself. So he says. I'm giving you advice. Here's some theology. You must have sinned because you've been having lots of trouble and therefore repent because God is going to get you. I'm glad he's not my friend. you probably had a friend like that in your times of trouble who thought that they knew certain Bible verses that they try to cram into your life and even if they were applicable you were too hurting to accept it. So even in the correct portions of his theology, he needs to reveal it in a loving way seems like the the world today wants to tell you that they're right without convincing you that you're wrong even if job were wrong even if he had sinned he's not going to convince job to repent in these situations because we already know that the things that happened to job did not happen to him because he was a sinful man And so, I appreciate the wisdom in Job for what it tells us and what it tells us not to do. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn quickly to James chapter 1 with verse 19. This you know, my brother, beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We tend to be a people who are quick to speak and slow to hear. And, I'll, and, and it, that is even in typical conversations. This is what will happen. I will say something. And then you'll respond. And rather than me listening to what you're saying, I'm automatically thinking what, how I'm going to respond, which means I probably haven't heard you. The scriptures tell us, instead of shooting your mouth all the time, listen. Because if you listen, you might hear what's going on. And if he would have listened, he might have understood where Job was coming from. And yeah, we give him credit and I give him credit that he was actually able to stay silent for seven days and seven nights, which is probably far better than all of us could do. But he ain't perfect either because he opened his mouth. Convinced he was right. And we're going to see, subsequently, he does nothing to cause Job to see his point of view. So we are to be quick to hear. Listen. Rather than saying, Well, I know how you feel. No, listen. Because let's face it, when you're hurting badly, there's nothing I'm gonna say that's gonna make you feel good. At least not right away. When you lose a family member or you lose a loved one, or some financial thing happened, it's like, well, okay, I'm gonna give you a great verse, and oh well. Praise God, I'm going on. You're hurting. Here. Don't necessarily have all the answers. And even if you do, you need to give them in such a way that the person can hear And accept. But he is wrong in this theology, in its application. Yes, there is a fact that there is, if you will, a retribution theology. When Israel was going to go into the promised land, God created a covenant with them. And he says, if you do these things, you're going to be blessed. If you don't do these things and do these other things, I'm going to curse you. It's you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. There was a contract between the two. And it wasn't a contract that said, well, if Joe messed up, the whole nation was going to go into dysphoria. Or if the whole nation was going and was doing bad and I was doing good didn't mean I didn't get carried away with them. It was a national, this is what the nation, my people, are to do. There is a sense that if you if for those of you who don't know me, I don't like to use particular sins because if I use particular sins, then you think I'm talking to you. Or you think I'm violating some uh, counsel between. So I, I use broccoli and chocolate. Okay. Broccoli has no temptation to be. And I said, that's a form of sin. Some of you like broccoli. Heaven help you if you do. But, but you do. And that's your temptation. I like chocolate. That's a temptation. So when I talk about I go, sin for me is like temptation of chocolate. But there are some sins like broccoli. You can put it in my face and I just don't care. So there's a, there's a sense of when we do things, when I eat chocolate, there are going to be some results. I'm not going to get fat. I want to stay fat and get fatter. I'm going to maybe get diabetes. There are consequences to my sin. To be rude, there are consequences to eating broccoli. You, you get um, extra wind. So, so you know, each of us have our own whatever, but there is, a, there is a consequence. But all too often, we kind of blame God for everything. If you decide to get on an off-ramp as an on-ramp to a freeway, there are going to be some consequences to that conduct. You're probably going to get into a head-on collision. And don't blame God because you're the one who blew past the sign and went the wrong way. So there are things that happen because they happen. But if you will, if you blow past a sign that says, don't go this way, there's a lot of times God says, warning, warning, don't do this. And we do it anyway. And there are natural consequences to it. And so there is a fact that there, if you will, a retribution aspect. You do, if you will, reap what you sow, but that's not entirely all 100% theology. So, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter five, verse forty-five, we'll see what Jesus has to say on the subject. I'm going to move up to verse forty-three to give it a little more context. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." Yeah, you've heard this because it's one of the um, one of the commandments. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I love it. People who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they'll say, well, he's a great teacher. I've never heard anybody say that they ought to do this when they don't think Jesus is the Messiah. because he teaches, we're supposed to love even our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous. And the unrighteous. There is that situation that not everything is retribution theology or retribution principle. It is, there are sometimes bad people, even evil people, have good things happen to them. As a matter of fact, oftentimes it seems like the evil people get more good things happen. But there's also a verse that says, It is your kindness, O Lord, that leads us to repentance. When maybe God is being kind to those who are evil that they might come to Him or at least have no excuse when they don't. But Jesus said, It rains on good people and it rains on bad people. And quite frankly, sometimes as the farmer, because we're not farmers, sometimes the farmer will pray for rain. But there are times when the farmer says, Lord, don't let it rain right now because it may cause my crops to mildew or whatever. And so, rain happens good times and bad times and saying so jesus is teaching that you can't take one little bible verse and apply it to everything it rained on joseph i'm sorry it rained on job because job was job not because he was good or bad as a matter of fact these things happen because he was a man of God. And one other verse I want to share with you again. Jesus' teaching, I want you because Jesus' theology is accurate in all circumstances. And in John chapter 9, it says this. As he passed by, that being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Now I find, again, his disciples have been bought into the, the, the theology that most of the Jews at this time had bought into. If God blessed you, you were a good guy. If God took blessings away from you and cursed you, you were a bad guy. They believed in retribution theology. Now I find it interesting because it says this guy, was born blind from birth. And they ask the question, well, who sinned, his parents or him? First time I've ever heard anybody say you could could sin in the womb. But in essence, that's what they're saying. Did he somehow sin while he was being formed in his mother's womb? Or was it his parents that sinned? Who's at fault? Who's responsible for him being blind? And it's addressed Jesus as rabbi because he's their teacher. He's their master. He's there to teach them. And so they're saying, teach us, Lord. What's the correct answer here? Is it the parents? Is it him? Notice they don't consider the third which Jesus is going to say. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents he removed the aspect of his blindness from the direct responsibility of his parents for him. He's not blind because somebody's sin. But it was that the works of God